How are we this morning? Good. Good. If you have your Bibles, go with me to Luke chapter 5. All right, if you have your Bibles, go with me to Luke chapter 5. We're going to be in Luke chapter 5, verse 29 through 32 today. And as you're turning, I'm just going to pray one more time. Father, you're the greatest of all time. God, we say it every single Sunday. You're the greatest of all time. There's none like you. There's never been any like you. And there will never be any like you. God, we come today and we sit under the power and under the majesty of who you are. Father, I pray that you would, for us, cultivate in our hearts a desire and a love for you and your word, God. God, we know that in our hearts we can't do anything to gain acceptance before you this morning, so we lean in, we press in to the glory of the cross, to what you did there, Father, and we ask that you would allow resurrection to hit our hearts this morning, that you would allow celebration to spring forth from us, God. That's our prayer. That's what we need. Father, I just... I want to take a minute, God, and just pray for myself this morning that you would hide me behind the cross. God, that you would allow my words to be crushed under the weight of your words and that your words would be all we see, all we hear. God, allow us to delight in, to revel in, to rest in the power of your words. In Jesus' mighty name, and as a family we say, amen. If you're in Luke chapter 5, verse 29, it says this, And Levi made him a great feast in his house. This is... Him is Jesus right here. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with him. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with the tax collectors? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but the sick do. I have not come to save the righteous, but I've come to call sinners to repentance. This morning, what I want to talk about, I want to focus on the, the, the first phrase here. And if you're, if you're taking notes this morning, which I encourage you to do, I want you to jot this down. Just jot down the word, file it away, maybe if you're not taking notes, in, the, in, the, in your mental bank, or maybe text it to your buddy, or your, your girlfriend, or boyfriend, husband, or wife, your, since you're texting anyway, just go ahead and shoot, hey, don't let me forget, celebrate, right? Celebrate, to call a party together, to rally around an event, to to establish an event around a certain person or thing. To celebrate means to publicly acknowledge with a social gathering or an enjoyable activity someone or something. Think about this way, weddings. Anybody been to a wedding lately? It's wedding season, right? So we go to weddings, and what happens? Everybody kind of sits, and and who takes center stage? The bride and the groom, right? We got a week, right? Nick. When you think about the, the dinner and the dance, the bride and groom take the floor, and everyone stands kind of in the margins and just watches. They take center stage. It's an event, celebrate someone or something. I thought about this song. I'm not quite sure how deep the theological sustenance of the song is, but does anybody remember Cool in the Gang? Anybody remember? That's a little, 
It's a little before me, but I was watching a YouTube video this week and I thought, man, I could have really lived in that day with the hairstyles and the, the clothes. I would, have, I would have dug that, right? There's an old song by Cool and the Gang, and it's real simple. They just said, celebrate good times. Come on. Anybody remember that song? All right, yeah. All right. That's the most some of you moved in church ever. I'm just going to not preach. We're just going to sing Cool and the Gang the rest of the morning. I've thought about it as I was preparing for this sermon. I couldn't help but think about that song. I mean, just going over it. I'm like, celebrate good times. Come on. And I thought, man, we have a reason to celebrate. Like we have not just something or a bride or a groom or, you know, a certain cool event, but we have someone to center our lives around to celebrate in honor of forever. When I think about that, I want you to hear this. Jesus is the centerpiece of our celebration. He is the centerpiece of our social gatherings. You think, why do we come to church on Sunday mornings? Listen, it is not just to be seen. Like, we don't come to church just to, just to sing some songs and to, to hear some guy talk. We don't come to church just to maybe make some business connections or, or, or meet up with our friends. That's not why we come to church. We come to church to celebrate, right? This whole morning, this whole building, this whole facility, this place, everything that we do is built around the idea that God came in the flesh, died on the cross, and then rose from the grave to give us life. Amen? I should have never sang cool in the gang. I'm never calming you guys down this morning. Everything that we do centers around Jesus. He is a reason to celebrate. And I want to ask you this morning. I said it earlier. There, there, there's this lighthearted feeling, or should be, when we think about the word celebrate. And so many times when it comes to church, we, we come in and it's almost like we're, we're coming to a funeral rather than coming to a resurrection. Right? Like this is a place where we should be brothers and sisters in Christ, walking in community, celebrating Jesus. So if you're taking notes this morning, I want you to write this down one more time and then we're going to move through a few points. Jesus is the centerpiece of our celebration. He is the centerpiece of our social gathering. Listen, if this gathering is ever built on anything other than Jesus, we could all pack our bags and go home. Listen, if, if it's built on a certain preacher or if it's built on a certain uh, style of music, if it's built on anything other than Jesus, we can all pack our bags and go home. Jesus is the centerpiece of our celebration. If you're taking notes, jot this down. We celebrate. We have reason to celebrate. We celebrate what he has done this morning. Let me read the scripture to you. Colossians 2, 13 through 15. When you were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all of our trespasses, having canceled the debt ascribed to us in the decrees that stood against us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. This gets me amped right here. And having disarmed the rulers and the authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Do you hear that this morning? We celebrate what he's done this morning. I mean, Jesus didn't just come and live a, a good life and teach some life application parables and pat us all on the back and say, I really want you to be good sheep. 
He didn't do that. Listen, he came and he lived a sinless life. He went to the cross. He died in our place. And in doing that, he broke the chains of the enemy that had once bound us. And I don't know about you, but I've never seen a moment when the chains were loosed in someone's life. You've all seen movies where someone was captive and then they become free. What happens? There's always, always, always a celebration. Always. Right? Think of it this way. You're sitting over here on 4th Street or whatever and the train has gone for 20 minutes. And finally the gates come up and there's just this feeling. I don't know how to describe it other than, thank God. Anybody been there? That's just a glimpse, just a small, simple, really silly analogy, a picture of what it's like when Christ does the work of salvation in our hearts. We are forever blocked by our sin. We were forever held in bondage by our rebellion. And Christ Jesus, in his goodness and his glory, stepped into humanity, stepped into our mess. And he unlocked the, he unlocked the lock and allowed the chains to fall to the ground. There's reason to celebrate in what he's done. Amen? So I want to ask you this. Do you? This is just challenging for me this morning. It was very challenging to think about. Do I celebrate what he's done? And I sing about it and I talk about it, but when I think about publicly acknowledging with a social gathering or enjoyable activity, when I think about celebrating, when I think about a party, is that the fruit of my celebration in Christ is like, is that what comes out of my heart? Because check this out. I want to read this verse to you one more time. In Luke 5, 29, and Levi made a great feast in his house. Levi threw Jesus a party. That's what he did. Think about it. There were tax collectors, sinners, which would kind of be the party that all of us would be at. Do you celebrate I mean, do, do you feel this incredible sense of joy knowing that Christ Jesus has not only liberated you from sin, death, and hell, but he's given you a new name. Like, you get to live this life free. So we celebrate what he's done. We also celebrate what he's doing. Currently, right now, some of us think or, or have been taught that Jesus is just kind of inactive in this period or, or that the... Dare we talk about the Holy Spirit too much in church, right? Because it gets a little weird to some people. But the reality is is that the Holy Spirit, Scripture says that Christ ascended to heaven. He said, I go away so that a comforter can come to you. So in this in-between time, I want you to hear me. In the in-between time that Christ Jesus died, he, what he's done, all right, there's this what he's doing thing. And it's allowing the Holy Spirit in your heart and my heart to make us men and women of God. See, I I said this last Sunday when I had the privilege of preaching the 830 and the 11 o'clock service. I said, Christ loves us so much to grab us right where we are, but he loves us too much to leave us there. And sometimes it feels like we're following willfully, and then sometimes it feels like God's like, come on, right? We keep running back to our sin. We keep running back to sometimes our own baggage and drama. And God's like, come on, I have something so much better for you. Come on. Anybody in that boat? I'm in that boat sometimes. See, we celebrate him because he didn't just leave us stranded. 
He didn't just say, oh man, I'm going to save you. No, he said, I'm going to sanctify you. That means I'm going to change you. And, and, and I know some of you kind of stop, uh, like I did much of my life. We kind of stop and celebrate what he's done. Man, I will celebrate in the cross of Christ. I will celebrate that Jesus died for me. But celebrate the idea that the Holy Spirit's living in me and wants to make me someone different. Oh, let's put the brakes on. We live in a culture of easy believism. We live in a culture that says, man, you can do whatever you want, you can say whatever you want, you can live any kind of way you want. The reality is, is if you know Christ, if you've been liberated by sin and death, you can't live any way you want to anymore. He establishes in your heart and in your life a new pattern of living. It's called holiness. It's called righteousness. See, so we celebrate God because he, he came in the flesh and died for us. We also celebrate him because of what he's doing. He is making us a new creation. Every single day he's making you and I into little Christ, Christians. So the reflection of who he is. Ambassadors, a mirror. What does God look like? Look at his church. He's making us look like him so that the world might know where to come to hear about the gospel. I want to ask you this morning, do you celebrate the cross and do you celebrate your sanctification? Do you celebrate the reality that right now in this sermon, in this moment, in your seat, Christ Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, is working in you to make you better, different, more beautiful on the inside and out than you were the day before? Do we celebrate that? No, let's be honest, we don't. I mean, do, when's the last time we partied over that? When's the last time we threw Jesus a party? You just kind of draw a circle around yourself, your little, little me circle party. When's the last time you partied in your heart? We celebrate what he's done. We celebrate what he's doing. And y'all, there's reason to celebrate today because of what he's going to do. Listen to this in Acts 3.19. It says, Repent therefore and be converted so that your sin might be blotted out and times of refreshing can come in the presence of the Lord and that may he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for the restoration of all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. The restoration of all things. Listen, we celebrate today not only because Christ Jesus died and liberated us from the power of sin and death. We celebrate today not only because Christ Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit is actively right now working in our hearts to make us who he wants us to be but we celebrate because one day heads are going to roll you hear me there's going to be a day when Christ Jesus splits the sky anybody read that part anybody snuck to the back of the book feet like brass eyes like fire riding a white horse and look at the picture in Revelation he's coming and scripture says that Satan and his demons will be thrown into the fiery lake. He will be chained. And that believers, you and I, will look and say, is that the one that messed with us? Is that the one that troubled me? See, we celebrate today because no matter what life looks like for us, there's coming a day where he's going to split the sky. Every hurt, every pain, every wound, every scar is going to be swallowed up in the victory of Christ and his cross. Glory to God. Listen, all of our celebration is wrapped up today in the person and work of Jesus Christ. We don't celebrate anything else. There's nothing else to celebrate. 
If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Jesus is that one friend. I don't know about you, but maybe you've been to a party before. A gathering of friends. An event circled around celebrating something. Anybody been to a party? Mom and dad are like, I will not raise my hand. My kid will not see me raise my hand. Anybody been at a party when that one friend walks in? The party can be going kind of dull, maybe a little boring. The music's kind of mundane or whatever. And then that one friend walks in the room. <laughs> and you automatically think to yourself, something is going to be broken. That one friend walks in the room and you're like, that guy's going to swing from the chandelier. That one guy walks into the room or that one girl, and you know automatically that everybody's going to be laughing in five or ten seconds. You know when that one friend walks into the room, everything's about to change. Sometimes for the good, sometimes not so good. Right? Anybody know that one friend? I want to ask you if you are that one friend. Listen, I want to, I want to show you this from a positive slant. Jesus is that one friend. See, when Lazarus was dead... In John chapter 11, Lazarus was dead in the grave. His body had already began to decompose. His sisters are weeping. The community is in an uproar. And they look at Jesus and say, Jesus, man, if you would have just been here a little bit earlier, if you just came a few days earlier, Jesus, what are you doing? Listen, everyone else could criticize. Everyone else in the room could pray and ask God to bring Lazarus back. Everybody else could speculate. Why didn't Jesus come earlier? But there was only one friend that could make a resurrection. And Jesus is that one friend. Listen, you're spiritually dead without Christ. If you know Christ, then he's been this one friend to you. But you come this morning, if you don't know Christ, then you're spiritually dead. You're just like Lazarus. And there's no friend that can save you. There's no boy, no girl, no man, no woman, no job, no degree. Nothing can save you but that one friend. He's calling your name today, just like he did Lazarus. When Jesus showed up, everything changed. Mourning was turned into a party. Can you imagine how they partied when Lazarus came back to life? Can you imagine how Lazarus danced knowing he was dead and has now been given a new lease on life and is alive. Lazarus was breaking down some cool-in-the-gang type stuff. I guarantee it. What about Thomas? In John chapter 20. Where Thomas in his arrogance says, man, I, if I, I gotta, I'll put my hand in his side, touch his fingers. I'm sure there was disciples around. Thomas, man, don't say that. See, his disciples, the other Christians, soon to be right, converted men around him. Thomas, you shouldn't say that. They could give direction. They could give wisdom. Thomas, come on, man. Like, like he's God, dude. He can hear you, right? They could criticize. They could correct. And they could give wise counsel. But there was only one friend when he walked in the room could remove all doubt and all fear. And Jesus is that one friend. This morning, I want you to hear me. There's no one that can satisfy the doubt and fear in your heart and your mind except Christ. But Christ can do it all. He is that one friend. Matthew chapter 8. 
there's a story of a leper. And lepers, in Bible times, they lived in camps, communities, away from the city, outside the gate. Their skin, their flesh was rotting off. So the, many of them, their hands would rot off or their nose or their ears. and So they would live in these little communities and help each other. They were unclean. Nobody else would touch them. So they kind of did life together. What I love in Matthew chapter 8, when this leprosy is just kind of doing life in the middle of his nastiness, in the middle of his brokenness, Christ Jesus not only walks onto the scene, but Christ Jesus is willing to touch him right where he was. See, nobody else in the room this morning can remove the nastiness of our sin. Nobody in this room can remove the shame and the guilt of our sin. No one can remove our spiritual leprosy. But listen, that one friend can. <laughs> That one friend, Christ, the one who says, no longer do I call you servants, I call you my friends. The one friend is willing to step down into your mess, into your humanity, to wrap his arms around you and to call you sons and daughters. Do you know that one friend this morning? In John chapter 6, there were 5,000 people, more really, The disciples got nervous. Jesus, we got to feed these people. You've been walking a ways. You've been talking a ways. It's too far of a journey. Jesus, we got to feed somebody. And the disciples could kind of rally together and say, well, maybe we could maybe pull money. I don't know. What do we do? But there was only one friend in the room that could feed 5,000 people. There's only one friend in the room who could be provision when there was nothing. Last point this morning, Mark chapter 4, 34, 35 through 41, when the disciples are in the boat and the sea is crashing all around them, the waves are incredible, the wind is howling, they're all terrified. They could all cling to each other, they could all yell at each other and say, hey man, we shouldn't have come, I told you we should not have come. But there was only one friend that could make his way to the bow of the boat, look at the wind and the sea and say, peace be still, and everything go calm. See, this morning, in your life, I want you to hear me say this. If you're spiritually dead this morning, there's nothing that you can do to resurrect yourself or anyone around you can do to resurrect you and give you joy and peace. You have to run to the one friend. If you're wrestling with doubts and fear this morning, a preacher's not going to satisfy that. A Sunday school class won't satisfy that this morning. You have to run to the one friend. This morning, if you're dealing with spiritual leprosy, if you, if you have things on your heart and in your life that you know are just eating you alive, there's only one friend that can touch you and heal you. Listen, if your world is chaotic, and the waves are crashing on every side, there's only one friend that can calm the storm. I want to ask you this morning, do you know Jesus? I don't mean, do you know of him? I don't mean, do you know things about him? I don't mean, have you memorized scripture? I don't mean, do you know the songs we sing? I mean, do you know Jesus? Is he the one friend that you know you can lean on when everything else falls apart?
Over the next few weeks, we are going to walk through the idea of celebration together. We're going to celebrate the story of God. We're going to celebrate the glory of God. We're going to celebrate the Son of God. I'm going to teach a little bit about Christ and what it means for him to be Christ. And then we're going to celebrate the story of others because this is what's beautiful. Jesus is the one friend that walks into the room and changes all of our lives and gives us purpose and life forevermore. Do you know him? Do you know that one friend? Let's pray. Father, thank you this morning for your grace. Thank you for the opportunity to to love you, to serve you, God, to to spend this time thinking about you and delighting in you. Jesus, sometimes it's so easy to forget that you are to be celebrated. And God, you, you love a good party. All through the New Testament, God, Lord, you were at parties or you were given parables about parties. You, you love celebrating. So God, teach us to celebrate what you've done. Teach us to celebrate what you're currently doing. Teach us to celebrate what you're going to do, God. And Father, I pray today that, God, I pray for Lazarus sitting in the seat, God. He would hear you call his name. I pray for the leper who's hiding spiritual, God, brokenness. Pray that they would call out to the one friend. God, I pray for the doubters just like myself that are sitting in the pew this morning. God, I pray that you would give them the boldness to reach out to you. God, I pray for every heart and mind today that maybe may feel like they're under the weight of an incredible storm. God, I pray that you would allow us to see you in the Spirit, in faith, stepping to the front of the boat, calming the storm. We want to bow at your feet. We want to come to your cross. We love you in Jesus' name.